Hey friends, before we dive into the episode, I've got something for healthcare professionals. Healthcare professionals, if you're locuming or going to locum, navigating it through multiple agents and agencies can be stressful. Back and forth emails and timesheets aren't needed in this era. What if there was an app where you could see the shift, the total pay, the hours and request to book it there and then? Well, there is. Locum's Nest connects healthcare professionals digitally to the NHS staff bank. The app connects already over 50,000 healthcare professionals to vacant work in over 50 NHS trusts and growing. Check it out yourself. That's Locum Nest. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Scrubbed In Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have another amazing guest with us. We have with us Gideon, who has more than 10 years of clinical experience in the NHS. Believe it or not, he does look super young. He's a pharmacist (laughs) turned radiology trainee. And the cool thing about him is he's got a keen interest in the intersection between health, health tech, innovation, medicine, and the cool thing, and I'll tell you why we wanted to bring him onto the podcast was one, one, one day I was on Twitter and, you know, with all the madness that's happening on there, Gideon shared a tweet saying he loved his job, he looks forward to going to work, um, and he's found the perfect career balance. So we want to talk about all of that today, Gideon. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you, buddy? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you both. Uh, I'm, so I'm really excited to, to be on here and like you guys have done an amazing job uh, with the podcast. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to have some fun. Amazing. Nice. Thank you for taking the time out. So obviously, I reached out to you, I saw the tweet and I was like, what? The first doctor that loves his job, that doesn't <laughs> want to leave the NHS, you know, has has found this nice work-life balance, you know, a day here and, and a few days there. Um, so tell us a bit about that tweet, um, why you shared it, why it was so important to share a tweet like that in this uh, current times. And then we'll kind of go back to your journey. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, I completely agree. You know, Twitter can be a bit of a toxic place at the moment for for medicine, and yeah. uh, I think, you know, I really share um, and empathize with everybody because it is just really hard times. Uh, you know, I've, going through F one and F two, going through COVID, and then realizing that you know it just feels like you're completely drained. Yeah, um, and uh, I've been quite lucky that I managed to get an SD one post in radiology. Mm. Um, it's what I wanted to do. I kind of figured that out pretty early on in um, in about F1 um, after speaking to surgeons and they basically said, don't do surgery. So, <laughs> um, so my current job plan is I decided to go less than full time. So I do 80% um, clinical. And um, as I will probably get through is that I've really been interested in innovation and I managed to work with one of my mentors, uh, Mr. Ian Hennessy at Alter Hay, um, hospital at the Alder Hay Innovation Hub to essentially create clinical fellow posts that matched uh, the less than full-time training pathway. So you basically, I basically do one day a week, which is 20% mm. um, at Alder Hay as a clinical fellow in innovation. Perfect. And we'll come on to that because that's really exciting stuff and not something you see quite commonly, kind of the less time full-time trainee doing things outside of medicine per se. But Take us to the very beginning of that journey, that clinical journey, because I know you did pharmacy first, right? Um, so tell us about yeah, that's right, that, yeah. that, that experience of studying pharmacy and the transition of when you decided to become a doctor and how you went about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, I initially um, came to the UK 2007, um, background from Switzerland, went to an international school, just going to lay that foundation. Loads of people will say like American accent, international school. Uh, so yeah, I came to the UK in 2007, did pharmacy. Um, I never actually really wanted to do medicine at all. Um, I really wanted to do more pharma uh, type work. Um, and so did my pharmacy degree, which is four years. Um, you do a master's in that as well. Um, and then joined uh, like a pre-registration scheme, which is kind of like F1 um, and uh, became a hospital pharmacist. Um, so I worked um, in you know the East Midlands, I worked in London, um, and then about like five years um, going through different rotations and different specialties, I kind of had this uh, I guess you can say quarter life crisis, <laughs> like, all right, you know, what am I going to do with my career? What do I want to do? Um, do I want to stay in clinical? Do I want a better paying job? Do I want more money? Like a lot of these things started to come in and essentially it, it boiled down to two decisions. I was either going to go into industry and go in, uh, down the pharmaceutical industry route, or I was going to go down the clinical route. And for me, I just absolutely loved doing clinical medicine. So and so that was the, a really huge point for me. And so I made that journey to do medicine. And I didn't get in first time, but joined uh, the um, uh, Liverpool on the graduate program. Uh, and I started that in 2016. Amazing. When, when you pivoted from uh, pharmacy to medicine, did it ever hit you about the sort of, you know, they talk about the sunken cost of time. Did you ever think, mm. oh, I should know I should go to industry because I'll get paid and it's just a minute, right? So medics often say this, right? They're yeah. in the job. They're like, I've been studying for seven years, training for four. Why the hell am I going to quit? I'll just stay miserable. Um, did it ever cross yeah, your mind? Um, and How would you get yeah. over that? Yeah, 100%. Um, that definitely was a huge factor. And I think, you know, when you're, 25 and you're thinking like oh my god like i you know what am i going to do for the rest of my career um it really took like friends family mm. you know loved ones to really talk through all of that and actually realize that you know a career is a really long time you know you're all the way until you're 60 mm. and so you know i think on i think on average people change careers three times three to five times oh, okay. so i think it just kind of dawned on me that you know i've got loads of time and i'd rather be doing something that i want to be doing mm. And like the other aspect is, is that like, I wanted something to leverage, right? So if I went in industry, fine, I could do the corporate pathway, go to the top. But I really found that like actually doing medicine meant I could probably get best of both worlds mm -hmm. and actually get the leverage of being a clinician um, at the top of my game, as well as potentially involving industry later down the line. No, absolutely. Tell us a bit about that medical school experience. Obviously you're doing it, having done a degree, kind of um, any tips for other people in a similar situation to you that have done an undergrad and kind of gone back into med school? Because I know it's a very different atmosphere, environment, mentality compared to that 18 year old fresh out of college, there for you know, <laughs> freshers week type of thing. Depends, we don't know if Gideon yeah. is like that. Yeah, I don't know, he, he happens. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> I can't, like, you know, I did my uni days, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, no, it was good. Like I, I really enjoyed my time in Liverpool. It's a great uni, it's a great atmosphere. Um, so the way that they do it is they do the graduate entry. So you join straight into second year. Mm -hmm. So, um, which is pretty good. So you have like, you're surrounded by mostly like 19, 20 year olds. Um, and uh, 
and we had about a graduate course about 30 students so it was a it was a good cohort but to be completely honest let's say like you know the graduates st- stuck together and it yeah. only took about like yeah. two three years to finally let us get integrate with the undergraduates and honestly i think it was the undergraduates that were like uh, you guys, you're too old. Yeah. Like, <laughs> stay away, stay away from us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but it was good. You know, it, there were challenges for sure. Um, I think, you know, when you decide to change your career, regardless of what you do, you're going to have like imposter syndrome to mm. the max, right? Mm. You're going to be like questioning yourself constantly. Um, and I definitely had a tough time making that transition. Um, I'd already worked like five years mm. and then going back and studying full time was was a was a big shift um, yeah and so yeah I, I definitely struggled in in the first uh, first year and a half for sure mm, I see so you get through Liverpool med school um, and then you graduate tell us about the kind of the the foundation experience f1 f2 um, and kind of the, the the perks of being a pharmacist and having that experience did it help um, kind of tell us about that Yeah, sure. No problem. So um, essentially, like kind of going back to medical school, I think, you know, a lot of people will say that, you know, pharmacy will definitely help. But ultimately, I tend to like tell a lot of people that, you know, thinking like a doctor is really different from any other healthcare specialty, right? Mm -hmm. You're trained to kind of look very broad. You you study basically everything and um, you kind of have a really good perspective of how to manage patients on on a really holistic approach. Obviously, some things that we don't do really well at medical school is things like learning about the NHS, Mm. um, learning about industry and learning about really the whole healthcare sector other than service, like direct service provision. Um, And so what I tend to say is that doing actual clinical medicine, pharmacy didn't really help that much, Mm. but actually understanding healthcare as a system, like that's where having that previous experience really kind of set me apart in, in a lot of ways mm. with the others who are going straight from medical school 18 straight to medical school straight into foundation training do you think not teaching them about the nhs how it works how the career works how training works do you think that's contributing to our expectations for when we enter the job and when our expectations are far too high essentially and we're met with disappointment what do you think about that yeah, it's really funny you say that. I had a like a I think a sixth form student who was thinking about joining medicine, joined the radiology department. Yeah, and, you know it's kind of interesting. You you kind of suss out like you know where are they at in their journey? Are they thinking about medicine or not? And how much do you want to really tell them? Yeah, you don't want, they have those like puppy dog eyes. They're like, I want to be a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, I don't really crush your 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 future just yet, right? <laughs> just yet. So yeah, it's a it's a really like tough kind of call. And I think the way I say it is, you know, definitely learning about the NHS is a really important thing. Mm. You know, um, I, in, in terms of kind of like understanding how a job works, I think is something I never got taught as a kid, yeah. you know, like or in, in my like sixth form or in my A-levels. Um, it's so, yeah, I think just learning how the system works. Uh, if you're on any, learn, like for anyone going on, um, you know, placements, um, just ask people not just about the clinical stuff, but like you know, what's the job actually like? I think it's a really, it, it really does open your eyes. And if you go into medicine with that kind of attitude that you know you're going to be admin for t- the first two years, yeah. then like <laughs> that's okay. It gets better at later on, no. and uh, as long as you have that kind of mentality, I think that, yeah. that's always good. Absolutely. I think the the beauty of social media and the the beauty of how things are now is I feel medical students are now more aware of the working conditions 
and the career they're embarking on compared to when we were medics, let's say. Mm. I think people are a bit more vocal on social media about the reality of it. Um, and I think the students that are still going through the journey are like, okay, cool, now I know to expect this. I know pay is crap. I know these are the working hours. Whereas I remember when being in medical school, it was like, I can't wait to graduate. I can't wait to be a doctor. And I was mm. never privy to all of this stuff happening. Um, so maybe that is um, a silver lining to it all when people are sharing their experiences online. Yeah, 100%. I actually um, remember, I think it was a couple months ago, there was like a string of YouTube videos from from doctors like showing what NHS pay was like. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that is incredible. Like, it, I wish I had that exactly. in medical school. <laughs> and it's, it's, such, it's so necessary. And I think so it just... Helpful like illuminates the whole the whole field mm. really and i think it's great no, i definitely agree and we're, and we're big advocates for stuff like that just to kind of be transparent and share it yeah. the one thing i did want to ask and this is kind of a unique question to you as a guest is so as doctors you know there is a certain way they treat and communicate other healthcare professionals right mm. so how did you feel you were treated while being a pharmacist compared to now you being a doctor and looking at that ways? Because I know there's a lot of stuff where every other specialty or every other healthcare professionals, doctors don't respect them, they're rude to them, they're harsh to them, and they see the pharmacist and everyone a nuisance, right? So mm -hmm. you kind of know where I'm mm -hmm. going with the question. So what was your experience <laughs> on the other end of the table of you when you were a pharmacist and the way doctors treat you, and then has that affected the way you now communicate with pharmacists in the, in the, in the hospital setting? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think um, I never really had any problem, uh, you know, hanging out with the F1s as a pharmacist. I found that actually, you know, working together just made my job a lot easier. Mm. Um, and I think it kind of boils down to knowing what other people do. Um, you know, I think that whole idea of like of how, you know, you talk down to somebody, it's, it's just I think it's just, you know, one, it's unacceptable in this in this day and age. Mm. And two, I think, you know, getting to know what someone else's job does actually gives you really good ideas about how to make your job better. Mm. And so I think that's a really important part of having a if you're an allied healthcare professional, whether that's, you know, radiographers, to, you know, nurses, healthcare assistants, just like having that open attitude to know what each other uh, person does as and how we all contribute to, you know, patient care is, is really important. Um, so for me personally, I, I, you know, I'm quite an open guy. Mm. I like to go and find out mm. everything about everybody. So I, I never had that experience no, personally. Definitely. Amazing. And I say that cause I've seen medics on the fly. I'll be honest, treating pharmacists and other allied professionals like crap. Right. And I'm sure you've seen it where they're yeah. busy, mm. you know, they're getting bugged nonstop for TT and they're like, do you know what? Listen, like, I'll sort it, go away type of thing. And it's, it's not pleasant. So um, it was interesting if you had- No, 100%, yeah. I, I, yeah, if, the thing is at the end of the day is like, you know, the, the pharmacist's role is to actually make sure patients get medicine safely, exactly. right? Mm. And, and, and being like, you know, okay, I don't know if I'm not gonna swear on the show, but <laughs> it's like being completely like an, terrible to them is literally like, it's doing you no favors at all. Like you're just gonna be, labeled as, as the person they don't want to really deal with. Exactly. 100%. No, definitely. Um, I want to move on to a little bit about self-discovery uh, right now. So yeah. yourself, right, moving from pharmacy to medicine, you're a radiologist now, interest in innovation and all of these other spaces, right? Um, a lot of people, we read a lot of books, watch a lot of YouTube videos on self-discovery, passions, etc. Mm. A lot of us actually just only listen. There is no action to it all, right? Mm. It seems like you've actioned a lot of it. 
Um, talk us through a little bit about, tell us about how you've discovered yourself, what you love, and then how have you actually gone about the steps to action it, to actually make mm. a change? Because a lot of people do not move from their seat. They just sit there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. T- t- talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, it, you know what? I'm going to preface this whole thing and saying it takes a lot of work. You know, mm. it's, uh, and I think, you know, knowing yourself and going through that self-discovery process is so unique to every individual and, um, you know, depending on so many different factors. Mm. And so... I'll talk about how I what happened with me. Please. So I was in medical school and, you know, I think I was in year two and I just like hit rock bottom and I was like, what am I doing? Is this the career for me? Like, do I want to, um, you know, do I want to be a doctor? And I had so much anxiety that I just couldn't like even cope um, with like having to deal with all the workload. Um, and so, you know, I just spent a lot of time um, talking to loved ones. I even got professional help to just, you know, just a coach or counselor, just to just to talk through things so you can go through it and find out like, what is it that you care for? What are your pillars or your values, right? Um, as soon as I figured that out, I'm no joke, things just started getting way better and it just continued to escalate. And as soon as you kind of figure out like, okay, these are the things I care about. These are the things I'm not willing to accept um, other people, you know, say about me or, you know, the, the way the world works, these are the things I'm not going to accept. You set like really solid boundaries, mm-hmm. then you can kind of like go on your exploration phase, right? Mm-hmm. Like, all right, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that. Um, for me, it was, I wanted to do something, uh, like I mentioned, I wanted to go back into this idea of technology and industry. And mm-hmm. so in, uh, I think it was third year of medical school, um, or the summer, uh, the summer before, I approached um, our technology enhanced learning director and I was like look innovation is going to revolutionize healthcare like and we need to know how to utilize technology in some way Um, and this was on the fact that like everyone else was doing it right the life sciences the engineering teams behind us like but medicine we were still learning things that were you know effective 200 years ago Mm -hmm. so like where are we going in the future um, and so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to step one, start an innovation society. Mm-hmm. It was really small. No one was really talking about it. The, connected with some of the life science students. We we're like, let's do something fun, creative, kept it really simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that led me to kind of find the right mentors, which I think is a really essential step. Mm-hmm. So a mentor that I got in touch with was uh, Mr. Ian Hennessy, who's the clinical director of innovation at Alder Hay Hospital who's now my boss. Mm. And so, um, yeah, and he just inspired me. And I felt like, yeah, this is the right way um, to, you know, you can have a career in medicine, you can do things with technology, you can do things with innovation. Mm. And so, um, you know, each year I tried to implement something small, like a small project, whether that was with the Innovation Society. Mm. And then when I had a little bit of courage, I decided, okay, gonna go out of my comfort zone a little bit more. and. Um, I went and joined the NHS Clinical Entrepreneur Program, and I applied for it in 2019. Um, didn't really go into it intending to do medical education, but as soon as I, you know, I, I went into the, the entire network, I realized a lot of the things that I recognized at medical school, where people are just trying to figure things out, mm-hmm. and they don't really have this kind of coherent structure of where do I turn to next? Who do I find? Who's like my, my next mentor? What does a career outlook or a vision for clinical innovation look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and more importantly than anything, it was a lot of them wanted to be doctors, but you just couldn't be a doctor and an entrepreneur at the same mm-hmm. time. 
like that and i think you guys have talked a lot about this on the yeah, on the podcast yeah, yeah. it's just it's a really hard like really hard ask you know you to actually be a doctor and be you know an innovator but um i often remind myself is that doctors have always been innovators i just think that the healthcare system we're on at the moment is just so ridiculously complex we just don't know how to do it no. you know and um it's really encouraging to see lots of people you know doing their side hustles going out being content creators and actually flexing that creativity which I don't know about you guys, but you know, medical school completely like destroys that creativity <laughs> in some ways. Um, I think one of my best, like one of my really good friends from uh, um, from uni, he would say that it's like you take a circle and you're trying to fit it through like a square hole, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's just like you're taking this whole person and you're basically just creating like cookie cutter models mm-hmm. um, as you exit. And so, yeah, I think that pro- going back to that self-discovery i think it starts if you want to take it a stepwise approach you have to start by knowing yourself go out find some mentors and then just build courage by doing small things incrementally and then sooner or later your network grows mm. and you just find more opportunities mm. I-, I want to dive into the mentorship just for a moment actually yeah, so absolutely. people say mentor and it almost sounds like Oh, you get just this helping hand up to, up onto the the podium, right? But there's there's loads of things that go into mentorship. The questions you ask, the things that you do. What is it that, about mentorship in the practical sense that it provides you to someone who says, you know what, I'll do it my own. I don't need a mentor. I don't need anyone helping me. Yeah, to those people, I say good luck. <laughs> I, think, I think honestly, like. You know, life is hard enough, you know, like there's a lot of stuff, you you know, you're pulled in so many directions yeah. and not asking someone who's looking to help you, I think is, uh, you know, uh, it's good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, what makes a what makes a good mentor, I think um, how I kind of see it at the moment is probably someone who sees in you what you don't see yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that like and someone who really understands where, you know, they either see themselves in you when they were younger or they see some potential in you that you haven't unmasked yourself and they kind of guide you. I think everyone will probably have a different level of interaction with their mentor. Mm-hmm. I tend to like mentors who just kind of let me get on with things. And then I come back and I ask them loads of questions. Yeah. Like as long as they're there in the background, mm-hmm. I'm quite happy. Like, I think that's quite good. Amazing. Um, but one of the things that you probably should do is foster that relationship so it's it's beneficial for both of you right mm. you don't you, you have to if you want value you have to give value right absolutely so you have to like have some kind of mutual respect and, and value sharing there mm. the other thing i liked you mentioned and i think it's very important to kind of reiterate was you started slowly with small steps before kind of embarking on the bigger journey kind of developing this curriculum I think a lot of people feel like they need to do that one big major project, that one big massive startup. And when in actually it's better to kind of work for a different startup, work with other people, do an internship, learn the tools of the trade, learn about it, and then kind of embark on that big journey. Mm. I think it's a thing about medics, right? You have to be the best. You have to be top decile. You need to be working on the best, coolest, mm. super sick startup, right? Whereas your journey kind of show that it's all right to start with a society, it's all right to start with a few projects and then kind of work your way from there. Yeah, completely. And I think that's, um, 
it's interesting that you say that because uh, you know when we got like we're so competitive right yeah. it's like you're like all right you know if there's that one audit that's gonna or gonna get you published you know you're like 10 of you fighting yeah. for that one consultant right <laughs> uh, so um i think yeah coming back to that I, I think yeah starting small is really good because it's all about building your confidence and actually building your network and nobody's going to start with an amazing network mm. even if you want to start a business like nobody other than your the, the most important person to go talk about your business it's going to be your family and mm. your loved ones right mm. you need to start with really small and then grow it that way mm. um and there's no way you're going to go out and like build something unless you know you're Elon Musk, which, you know, maybe you're out there, but <laughs> like, maybe you're out there. But uh, yeah, that, that's a really hard, hard road to follow. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think like kind of talking a little bit about how that kind of journey, journey went forward is that, you know, I started off with this kind of society and then there was an opportunity at the medical school to then um, basically uh, create a potential course. Right. Mm. So we were going through a redesign of the curriculum at the time. The Topol review came out. If you haven't read it out there, definitely recommend. Um, it talks about digital health um, and within the NHS and education. And so uh, Mr. Hennessy was given the opportunity to lead to this kind of new healthcare technology and design course. And so having already demonstrated my interest in that, I was given the opportunity to sit on the panel, build a template, co-develop it, and then really like actually put something into action. Mm. And now, you know, with that, groundwork I'm now teaching on that as an honorary clinical lecturer right so like having and that's that's where having these small steps look out for the opportunities to reinvest that reinvest in those small steps so you can make it bigger no definitely and what I love about the story is what many congratulations you hear very few people have a direct impact in terms of the curriculum and what medical schools teach right we know it's mm. it's, it's, the, it's the same thing that's been taught forever and ever and it's always a hand-selected number of people where someone new coming in entering that system is difficult but I think what it also goes to show is over time even if you mentor didn't mean to you've kind of built this brand around yourselves about innovation and health tech mm -hmm. and you know for you know Ian Hennessy to be like okay this is Gideon who's got an interest in this let me bring him on right and I think it's putting yourself out there exposing yourself to all these opportunities and kind of kind of connecting the dots and I think advice i'll give to other medics and junior doctors is start building a personal brand online you know you publish yeah. in medium right that article you sent and then you publish it again on peer it's like okay now we know what gideon's interested in if there's opportunities to bring him on it's you right so i think building a personal brand and being exposed is very very important and it lends itself to opportunities and you're a prime example of that yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, and you know, it's by building your own personal brand, A, you're getting to know yourself and B, you know, you're demonstrating that everyone is unique. And I think that's what people want to see. Mm. And especially in medicine where it can feel like, you know, you're basically replaceable as an F1 or F2. You want to have that kind of unique, unique aspect to that, no, right? Definitely. So I completely agree. So one of the other things I wanted to talk about was this, this integrated clinical innovation pathway, right? And yeah. I got excited by the concept or the idea of you don't need to be a consultant surgeon or uh, acute medicine, or you can be, but it was the idea of how do you get CCT or whatever it is in innovation entrepreneurship? How can you be a consultant in that specialty, um, kind of bridging innovation and bring it and get and implementing into the NHS? Why can it not be its own pathway, right? So tell us a bit more about yeah. that. That's quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess like I'll kind of reiterate like the problem, mm. right? So the problem is obviously we live in a really like complex healthcare system and we know that technology is going to improve that. 
but we kind of have this implementation gap, right? So we're like, it's really difficult for people to adopt technology or to, and, and essentially to be an, to do innovation, you have to have um, an idea It has to be implementable and it has to bring value, right? And unless you can complete those steps, really you're either doing research or you're doing quality improvement without potentially bringing out value. Um, and so I think um, what we kind of realized um, myself and my team was that in order for that to really happen, you need people who understand how to navigate innovation within the NHS and healthcare in general. It's a, as I mentioned, I think earlier, it's that you know doctors were very focused on service provision, mm. but healthcare is like a huge market, right? And like, and pharma is just a small part of that. And you know, health tech, digital health, um, you know, AI, robotics, you know, nanomedicine, the list goes on. It's a huge market space, and being able to have that ability to navigate that whilst also being accredited for it as part of that's your job um, as a clinician is really where we're going for. Mm. And I think what and for the NHS like innovation ecosystem to really flourish, you need clinicians who have that skill. Mm. You'll have clinicians who want to be entrepreneurs, you'll have clinicians who want to be entrepreneurs, but there has to be some kind of balance in between, almost like a generalist, right? Mm. You can kind of play both sides. Mm. Um, and so the vision for kind of integrated innovation training is to br bring that to the NHS by allowing us to have designated time to do innovation work. So on th uh, this is off the back of the well, it's um, basically NIHR um, academic training was developed um, after a, a seminal paper that was released in 2005, which basically outlines all the same problems that we're faced today. We don't have flexible training. We want some like recognition for posts. Mm. Uh, we want to be able to have this accessible everywhere. Um, and we basically used that as a framework to essentially allow time through your training scheme to do it. Mm. Um, it's still early days. I've sent, um, I sent that proposal over to Health Education England last summer, Amazing. got some really interesting feedback. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, oh, is this for all doctors or is it for some doctors? Is it like, what about every healthcare professional? Which I think are all really valid points, mm -hmm. um, but it was about getting that conversation started. Mm -hmm. It's like, we need clinicians who can do this, mm -hmm. It's but they don't exist yet. Yeah. And we need to try and get prepared for that. Yeah. What do you think the barriers are? Like, for example, the, the whole entrepreneurship program and everything, the NHS has been hemorrhaging doctors into the world of startups and entrepreneurship for a while now. Um, mm. And we're losing a lot of talent in that direction. What are some of the barriers that that are behind, I guess, keeping them in the NHS and keeping them uh, in the training pathways? Yeah, I think it's a really that's a really good question. Um, I actually don't know the full answer. Mm. It's probably a mixture of, of political and mm. it's probably a mixture of the fact that actually, you know, you can attest to this, you know, on your day to day job. It's like you really can't think more like you can't think further than the next day. Right. Like yeah. You're almost like you're yeah. so busy. You're <laughs> so like consumed with all the problems that you're facing there mm. and then. That even at the at consultant level, it's kind of hard to even think about planning your holiday in two weeks, right? Yeah, it's like it takes like a huge amount of effort to do that. And so I think um, from my perspective, um, one of the barriers that for, is that people just find that it's it's just really hard to implement. People are not interested. People want to you know want to do things the same way. Mm. It's too hard. It's too much money. Too much effort. Not enough staff. Yeah. And like those, like those are the kind of barriers that come through. And 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 
even trying to communicate that and bring it to light people some people just don't want to listen so yeah no i get that you know you know the point of not being able to think a day ahead uh, i really resonate with that because i i find that a lot of medics right they might have other passions other hobbies they might want to start a business a startup a creative agency or whatever but that ability to think creatively to knuckle down on something else there is no time for that there is no bandwidth yeah. for that and I think that's what the job essentially crushes. So then you're just like, all right, then I'll just do my ST128 and then that's it. <laughs> I'll just stay where I am. Um, 100%. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I think, you know, doing something like an F3 is a really great mm. idea. You know, like I think you guys have mentioned that before. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm a huge advocate of that as well. You know, you need that kind of mental space to actually almost like find what you want to do. Yeah. I, I often say F3 to anyone who asks me, should I, should I take an F3? I say, it's a it's a massive danger to the NHS because you really start to explore. You work on your own terms. But there's monetary gains there, and it really does open your eyes to a lot of things. Uh, I'm yeah, very pro F3, so yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I think like one thing I will say though is it, it's you know you gotta you gotta be really for for everyone who you know goes out. I speak to quite a lot of the mm. NHS clinical entrepreneurs, and and a lot of them you know go out to do medicine and still provide a huge impact, mm. and that is really fulfilling, right? Absolutely. And I think what you guys are doing, you're providing a lot of impact, and I think that's great. And I, I absolutely like you know I applaud you guys. I applaud everyone who goes out and manages to do that because it's not it's not easy. Um, I think one of the things that I tend to find is you know what about if I want to primarily be a clinician mm. who has a job that is actually involves being this kind of almost translation of, mm. you know, all this innovation into clinical practice, like where do I fit in this? Yeah. And I think that's like a question that I've really been pushing from, for myself. And that's kind of led me to, you know, create my own career or mm. build my mm. own career. And what I hope is by doing so is that others will follow. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And I, I was going to come on to that. I feel that the missing piece is for clinicians that are, they don't want to go out and start building a startup of their own and start hustling and leave kind of the typical 95 and co patient contact. Yet they do enjoy medicine. They do want to have contact with patients, yet they do have this interest and passion in innovation and health tech. And it's what is the role for them that combines the two? And mm. I think what you're working on now is super important because I think a large number of individuals fit into that camp where mm -hmm. they do love medicine, they do want to be a doctor. We all want to be doctors, right? We studied medicine, mm -hmm. we enjoy it. We didn't do it for fun or whatever it may be. And unless you're helping and becoming an entrepreneur and starts up leaving the profession, mm -hmm. there are a large number of people that it would be nice to help them and cater mm -hmm. to their needs and their ambitions mm -hmm. and see them grow within the, the, the system, which is why you're, the work you're doing is so, so pivotal. Yeah, oh, thank you so much. It's really, really kind. Like, uh, yeah, I, I've, I, I really do resonate with it. And I heard this like incredible story the other day of like uh, an IHR like foundation doctor who never heard about innovation before. And he like read like the blog post I had, which I hope you guys link in the description. Post, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's he basically was didn't realize that you can actually bring value to patients and make an impact mm. through innovation. And he was so motivated that he went out and literally built his own career. Oh, he wow. took a part-time master's yeah. uh, with Oxford Deanery and is now doing that kind of work to learn more. And I think, you know, 
whether you decide to go out and do a startup, whether you decide to be a content creator, whether you decide to be a podcaster, mm. having that ability to realize you can make impact in other ways other than direct clinical practice is really important. No, definitely. I think um, medical students are can be very excited for the future since you've gotten the discussion uh, ready already. Uh, that's really amazing. On the front of uh, that as well. I think a key thing that we all want is also variety to be able to also think in different ways um, Challenge ourselves in different ways. So you're right people do want to carry on being amazing doctors It's just that on the side. We also enjoy using our creative elements uh, It's the same reason why a lot of doctors are also academics right running departments doing research But what about you're right? What about the other side of the coin the creatives the innovators? They haven't got that pathway yet for them. There's the academic foundation post, but there's nothing well, I haven't heard of anything exactly. for innovation. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's so true. Like, mm. I, you know, the NHS kind of follows on these things. You know, I think there's now a post for leadership and, you know, suddenly leadership is a really big yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, doctors want to be leaders. But, you know, like, although, <laughs> although leadership is really important and I, and I think, you know, there will be individuals who want to do that. I think there are those like us, you know, mm, who want mm. to have that ability to be creative and, and do innovation. And also, like, another aspect is, I kind of think it's an important part of actually being a doctor. Mm, so think about every time you've been on the ward, you know, if you know, if there's procurement offices who are, you know, buying equipment that you're going to be using every day. But are you, you know, are you sure a doctor's on in those meetings are the people who actually use it in yeah, those exactly. meetings who are telling them, you know, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? So it, it does have direct impact on your care. And so I, I do a lot of um, kind of work um, on like some accelerator programs um, and I like talk to a lot of startups and, and they're desperate, you know, they're desperate for clinical input. They're desperate to understand, you know, what is healthcare and, yeah. and people outside of healthcare just find it a really, really complicated place to be. I know. Absolutely. It's, it's a shame. There's a lot of departments, organization talents being siloed that really need to be talking to each other a lot more yeah. frequently than they are. You have to think about it. Like doctors are at the interface right of the delivery whilst also being connecting the back-end system as well so they're perfectly 100%, positioned yeah 100 yeah. percent. you know i don't like the term but you know when they say gatekeeper mm. of like healthcare it, it it has like negative connotations but yeah who's to say that we can't flip that on its head and say that actually we can make use of that no. you know we can actually go out and be active and you know really participate in healthcare innovation and say that you know i'm here to make your innovations better for my patients. Yeah, no, exactly. Definitely. Exactly. So we've talked about the innovation and that aspect of your life. And then there's mm -hmm. the other bigger aspect, which is the clinical duties, being a radiologist. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. it wouldn't be fair if we don't talk about that because um, some people yeah. may have <laughs> no specifically tuned in for that side of things, right? So <laughs> tell us about kind of radiology trainee kind of what I've realized is starting to become a lot more popular now than it was before. I don't know what the numbers are like, but I see a lot of my friends are either turning into GPs or going down radiology, right? I don't know what we're yeah. missing. But tell us about that <laughs> process of kind of competitiveness, the portfolio, how do you get yourself into a program um, and kind of that side of your journey? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I'll do the, I'll, I'll tell you guys a little bit about what you need to do first and mm. then I'll say, I'll say mm. why I decided to go into mm -hmm. it. So. Um, it's really nicely clearly laid out for you. So if you go on like the speciality training web, uh, part of the RCR, you'll find out everything that you need to do. And basically, if you want to do radiology, you have to do a couple of things. 
get yourself onto a taster week. That's pretty much mandatory because radiology tends to have this, you know, no one really knows what the radiologist is doing yeah. other than reporting. <laughs> so like, you know, like they really want you to, to be like, to really understand what happens behind closed doors. And uh, it's, you know, it's kind of like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, right? Mm. No one knows behind what's behind it. <laughs> it, There's a lot, it's, it's a lot to do. And so get yourself a taster week, um, have a, have a, you know, have a go around, do some diagnostics, try and get some interventional work as well, if your hospital allows it. Um, and then that will be something that really is like mandatory, you know, as a minimum, then you need to get an audit. So something really simple, you know, like chest x-rays or looking at ultrasound scheduling for your patients. These can be really easy, low hanging fruit things that you can do. And you can just speak to the audit lead from the radiology department and then that's quite quickly done. The rest of it is actually almost up for grabs. So radiology is one of the really nice specialties that doesn't, you don't have to do a lot of like radiology specific things. So if you've, you know, published papers, doesn't matter. It can be in dermatology, surgery or, or whatever, and uh, it'll be accepted. Um, they also want like, if you want to do teaching, it can just be, you know, any type of teaching. It doesn't have to be radiology specific. Um, you'll also get points. So um, that's for the portfolio. Uh, for the MSRA, which is now the kind of entrance exam for most specialties now, um, it's basically that is your kind of cutoff point, right? It's really high score. Um, that's where most of the applicants tend to either pass or fail. Mm -hmm. And I think the statistics last year was that about one in two people um, had, it, basically after you um, passed the MSRA and got through that threshold, the competition ratio was about one in two for oh, the interview. Okay. So actually that's, if, if you really wanna get into radiology and you're interested, you know, I would recommend spending some time to try and get a good grade for MSRA. Right. So that's that. Um, yeah, so why I wanted to do radiology, I guess is the question. Uh, yeah, so like I mentioned before, I. Um, I kind of really wanted to do surgery at first. You know, I, I really love practical skills. Um, I love theater and I love that like kind of uh, team environment you get with surgery. And so, but one of the things I found quickly was that like, I didn't know if I could make it through CST, mm -hmm. if I'm honest. Like it just sounded so grueling. I just, and so demeaning that I was just like, ah, oh, you know what? Nah. <laughs> like, <laughs> the surgeons like, need to work I'm, on their branding, man. <laughs> yeah, man. I was just like, oh, no, I, I can't be doing that. And, you know, the more I, and I, I loved medical imaging from mm. like very early on in medical school. And um, I just thought it was really cool. I loved the tech. And um, I just loved that you got, you could just, you know, make the diagnosis just with imaging, yeah. which is pretty cool. Um, so when I talked to a lot of surgeons, they were basically like, do radiology. Yeah. It was like unanimous decision. Yeah. So, um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I started exploring and I realized that, you know, there was this whole field of interventional radiology, which, you know, if you want to do more practical procedures, is a, it's a really interesting and growing field. Mm. Um, and it kind of like ticked a lot of the boxes that I wanted. I wanted a career that had a lot of breadth. And so like, you know, you cover the whole human body. Mm. Um, and pretty much every disease in specialty training. Mm. Um, you have a lot of depth, like you have to know physics, you have to know like MRI, CT, ultrasound, plane film, and then you have to know all of like the clinical pathways related to those diseases. Mm. Um, and then you have that also that ability to, like it's a specialty that's growing, like yeah. there's no doubt about it. Like, you know, imaging, AI, like it, it's all coming to radiology. And um, like I had a really interesting, heard a really interesting podcast 
um, on something called um, uh, what's it called Backtable Innovation. Um, they basically talked about how um, essentially AI in healthcare is radiology. Like this yeah. is the most mature aspect of it. And so I really wanted to get into a field that was growing and going somewhere. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a five-year special, it's a five-year run-through specialty. Um, you do another year, six year, if you want to be an IR, mm. um, or, and lots of people just take their time with it. Really. Oh. It's, it's great. Uh, it, it definitely, the two things I've noticed is one, you're right. A lot of innovation, a lot of the cool AI, machine learning, all of that stuff seems to stem in the radiology department. It's kind of that specialty. Um, and I feel like speaking to a lot of the trainees, it feels like a very structured, very looked after program. Like the, the trainees are looked after, there's a clear path. Um, there's not a lot of the difficulties you face that the surgeons are getting violated and destroyed on a day-to-day basis, <laughs> yeah. right? But the other thing yeah, that, which you flagged is quite interesting is like we, we tend to think radiologists, a lot of people don't think about radiology, right? You, you completely forget yeah. it's a specialty that exists. Mm. And I think... No offense. Yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> think about I'm taking it, okay. No, no thinking, I want to be a radiologist, right? Unless you've had some sort of exposure. So I think what they need to do is kind of like, even like anesthetics and ICU, right, is another specialty that I was considering personally. Mm-hmm. But you realize in med school and even F1, F2, you don't really get much exposure into these niche. I don't know if it's niche. They're not niche, right? But mm. other specialties. So I think that's something that'd be good to shed a bit more light on it because everyone wants to be a surgeon, right? Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, you know, like everyone wants to have that glory day, yeah. right? And then you realize you've been standing for six hours Literally. like holding a retractor yeah. or something. <laughs> that's, that's exactly yeah. it, man. But what's interesting as well about radiology is also when speaking to other radiology consultants, trainees, registrars, and the juniors who want to go into it, is there's this element that they're, you know, the, the career pathway, it's very organized, it seems. It seems like in certain years, you're learning X, Y, and Z, then you move on to taste mm. this particular specialty, you're doing certain things, and there's a, there is a specific training pathway. Whilst a lot of other mm. specialties, it seems that there's a, there's a great weight on service provision where you're yeah, a service yeah. provider and that's, there's very little training involved. And I think other specialties, the other Royal Colleges can learn a lot from, I think also the Royal College of GPs as well, they do it really well as well. Um, yeah, no, so, 100%. Yeah. Like I, um, I, w- I didn't realize until quite late on that actually when you report as a trainee mm. in uh, radiology, like everything gets checked, mm. literally. Yeah. The consultant's checking all your work. and. Obviously, over time, you get more confidence. Like, but even stuff on call, like you're doing it by yourself, but then it's checked by a consultant. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize like how useful it is to have direct consultant teaching. Like every single day, I sit with a consultant, oh, wow. like, nice. and they teach. They literally like just give you all of this incredible knowledge. And you know, I think going through F one, F two, I kind of maybe felt a bit starved of that. You know, yeah, like you yeah. don't really have that. You know, sense that you know what the career is going to look like for you because yeah. the surgeon on the ward round will come do the ward round 10 minutes and no. then they're gone yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you have no chance to like actually you know speak to them or you know get to know what the career is like yeah and so um and like there's just every type of person in radiology you know like you've got people who are i think one of our consultants rides horses oh, wow. one of them like it does investing on the side yeah. some of them like most of them work part-time like it's super chill and yeah. uh it's it definitely, um, obviously, I want to do a lot of things outside of medicine, and it really felt like that specialty that gave me the ability to do yeah, that. Yeah, I was mm. going to say, it seems like one of those few specialties, obviously GP is always kind of top of that list as well. It's 
it feels like it's one of those specialties that lends itself for you to do other things outside of medicine. And I think yeah. that's super, super important. Um, and it's nice to see kind of medics kind of, you know, that typical medic that comes into medical that, you know, is a grade eight on the violin and can play the piano and can do X, Y, and Z and is part of every different <laughs> sports club. It's, it's nice to see the medics starting to go back to themselves in a weird yeah. way, like a lot of clinicians now, like, do you know what? I'm gonna take training into my own hands or do what you're doing, right? Less than full-time training. It's probably crazy to even think of that a few years ago, right? They'd be like, what on earth are you doing? Who, who even thinks like that, right? Yeah. And they're starting to yeah, kind of do the stuff they enjoy. So um, what advice would you give to people that want to carve out their training that may be hesitant about less than full-time training? Because um, mm. obviously it's not super popular. Um, it was looked down before, especially in surgery many years ago. Kind of how do you go about creating this, this schedule and is it all right to do? You know, I think, you know, I often say to kind of like a lot of my close friends and, and everyone, you need to stop asking for permission, right? <laughs> and I think this is a really, this is something that I think medicine, we often, I think there's some, some people will say we get infantilized, you know, we're just constantly having to ask for, you know, ask for permission. So what I would say is, you know, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness, mm, right? Yeah. Like that's like, go out and try something for yourself. If you're really interested in something, don't let that die out and just less than full-time training exists for you. Um, you know, if you want to go out and you want to explore something, take that time. The job is always going to be there for you. Mm. No. I think from the, the thing that I wanted to do and going forward is, you know, I... I don't mind that less than full time means I take, you know, I think it comes down to like a two months added per year mm. if I go 80%. Mm. So over a five year training period, it's literally like 12 months. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Not, that, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, so I don't mind having that flexibility if it allowed me to be able to go do the things that I wanted to do. So I think we need to stop, you know, one, stop asking for permission and realize that like a career is what you make it, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's, and, you don't want to end up hating your job just because you've just been so obsessed with trying to meet everybody else's expectations. No, definitely. Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, that was a very fruitful podcast. A lot of things were covered. <laughs> uh, but I think equally Absolutely. it was important to cover those things. It was important to bring you on as a, as a guest, um, especially with the way you're thinking, the mm. forward thinking, the things you're trying to implement or get the conversations going at least. Yeah. Um, this is why also radiologists are doing so well in recruitment. People are like you know, <laughs> are doing all these things. They come onto a podcast and sell it even more. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm you. Well, we need radiologists, man. That's the thing. Like the workload is a lot for us. They've got their branding. Yeah. If anyone point. out there is interested, like yeah, just hit me up. I'm, Definitely. I'm more than happy. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Uh, sometimes I'm on the verge of being. I'm going to become a radiologist. radiologist. <laughs> <laughs> it's the way to go. But no, thank you, Gideon, for taking the time out to do this. You're doing incredible work. You're having conversations. You're, you're kind of showing that it is acceptable. It is all right. And that you can enjoy being a doctor in this day and age. You can build the career <laughs> you want. And you do wake up in the morning wanting to go work and you don't hate your job and you don't hate your life, right? Um, yeah. And it's super important. And what we would say is keep sharing the positivity because it's super important because it got me thinking, right? And it got me to connect and reach out to you. Uh, so we need people like you. Uh, I'm really touched guys and, and thank you very much for having me on um, I think what you guys are doing is super important I think the way you're revolutionizing the way we educate medics is just it's such like ripe territory for disruption so I think you know I'm wishing you guys all the best and um, I, like keep keep doing what you're doing yeah, thank, thank you, you buddy so much. 
Excellent. Thank you. So if anyone wants to reach out, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, and you can find my blog post on, on LinkedIn as well yeah. or on Medium. So I will share the yeah, link. I'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah, I'll share the link to kind of where to find you, all the blog posts, the stuff you're doing. Um, and if anyone does want to reach out, we can kind of um, leave that to them. And I'm, I'm sure you're more than yeah, happy. Definitely.